Hello, everybody. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined, as always, with my other co-host and best friend, Michael Hamilton. Michael, como allez-vous? Uh-oh, is that French? It is. I have not been studying at all. I'm ready to go to France and not know any French. C'est mauvais. Uh, I believe that means that that's bad, <laughs> but I could be wrong on that one. I've been studying French a little bit in my spare time, but como allez-vous means how are you in French. Okay. Well, I'm doing pretty well. I am really looking forward to this trip to France, even if I haven't been studying. I've been working on Flesh and Blood a lot, though. How, how are you doing today? I was trying to think of how to answer that question in French, but... Learning a new language is hard. Yeah. Bien. I believe that means that's good. Yeah. Bien is good. That's the same as Spanish. There's a lot of cognates between Spanish and French, because even the beginning of that phrase, como, is how, how in Spanish, because okay. como in Spanish is how. So, how are you? Cool. Yeah, it really helps streamline the process. But anyways, believe it or not, today's episode is not actually about French or France. Today, Michael and I are going to talk about some of the amazing reasons why we believe everybody should be playing a card game. Michael and I have a rich history of playing card games. We played Magic the Gathering together for a number of years. But we really want to kind of create a love letter for the amazing form of getting together and playing trading card games with people and the reasons why it has really enriched our lives over the years. So, Michael, if you had to pick one reason out of the countless reasons that I'm sure we'll get into over the course of this episode, what would be your favorite thing about playing card games in general? Well, this kind of like covers multiple reasons, but my favorite thing about card games is definitely like the tournaments, seeing my friends and competing, getting all of that in the course of a day or a weekend. That that probably comes in lots of different activities, not just card games, but that's definitely what has kept me around playing card games so much. And yeah, it's really nice. I guess breaking it down. I already did break it down, I guess. I kind of said people and the competition. What about you i guess how, how do you feel about tournaments tournaments and a way to compete in any hobby is really important to me i'm kind of weird in a sense where i always need to feel like i'm improving in something or i'm seeing a tangible progression in whatever i'm competing at growing up i didn't really have a lot of new single player consoles i always was about a generation behind but in high school i got a gaming pc and during that time i played a lot of online games with a really good core group of internet friends at the time and that obviously meant competing in a lot of things primarily we played dota a lot the original dota in the warcraft 3 mod as well as some first person shooters and just various other online games but ultimately, when we were all hanging out, since we were all playing games online, we were always competing in something. So that's something that I really value and actually wound up really enjoying. I really like knowing what I could be doing better, what I could be doing worse. And you really don't get that a lot of the time when you're playing single player games. Don't get me wrong, I guess. I really enjoy still playing games like Fire Emblem or some traditional RPGs that have these really complex and convoluted strategy systems where I'm spending five hours just deciding what exact niche ability i need to get plus my 0.25 dexterity sometimes but ultimately that's only fun and engaging to me for so long and i quickly kind of burn out of those kind of games after about a month or so but i never burn out on card games or a system where i'm competing in and something else that's really unique to card games is that you learn you can do everything right and make all the right decisions and still lose because of that 
element of variance that's just inherent to card games. And that really applies to a lot of different areas in life, whether you're trying to make a decision to move for a job or deciding whether or not you want to make this next big decision in your life. Learning in something that's relatively low stakes in card games that you can still fail regardless of what you do is a really valuable life lesson that I've taken away from playing card games in general. Yeah, that's a very valuable lesson to learn, I feel like. In life, you can make all the right choices. and Well, you probably can't make all the right choices, but in a situation, you can make the correct choices, objectively correct choices, and still have bad outcomes. And that happens a lot in card games as well. So that was going to lead me to my second point. So not only like outside of like competing, because obviously if that's all you're getting out of a hobby or something like that, you'll eventually burn out because getting to the top 0.01% of any any hobby or endeavor is incredibly unlikely, obviously, and super difficult. And that's why you have to fall back on your friends that you're developing along the way and the lessons you're learning from the game in and of itself. So what do you like the most about card game tournaments, though? So like, we, we both said we like the tournaments. What's what's really appealing about a tournament? So I really like just kind of testing your wits against other very skilled players. I think that there's something really satisfying whenever you get to compete against someone that you have a lot of respect for or someone that you didn't even know before the match, but they just you see them play really well or they bring a really unique deck and play it well. There's one thing that I like more about card games than potentially other competitive outlets is that a lot of the time in card games when you make a mistake it's because you didn't think about something correctly or you didn't account for something and you're always learning as you're playing card games and in tournaments you take all these lessons you've learned and if you use your lessons better if you've learned the most things or the best things and you do everything right with what you've learned you're going to win most of the time and if you don't it's not because that It's not because you didn't think of something quite quickly enough. It's not because you didn't have the reaction time. It's not because you didn't have the physical prowess or something like that. In card games, if you mentally know what to do, then you'll do what you need to do. Whereas in other activities like video games, you can know what you're supposed to do and just not have the reaction time or not execute correctly and... I guess I've played a lot of Smash before I really moved on to card games and you had to spend a lot of time just like in training mode, practicing these inputs, getting it down to muscle memory so that you could perform the techniques you needed to in a tournament. And when you mess something like that up in a tournament after practicing for hours, it feels really frustrating and it can feel like you wasted your time. And in card games, it doesn't really happen. If you, like I was saying, if you know what you want to do, you just play that card in that way or whatever and you don't have to worry about executing your finger movements correctly with the exception of tunic triggers right that's a pretty important muscle memory to develop (laughs) you you can forget triggers and stuff but like that's still like basically a mental thing because you can take your five seconds at the start of your turn if you need to to make sure that you did everything you need to before moving on into your turn i can't have patience michael i want to play my cards now i can't be bothered to remember this trigger when i just want to start playing all my sweet cards as soon as possible but it is really nice that the mental aspect of the game does take priority over any physical aspects of the game for the most part although i'm quite surprised michael i really thought your number one reason for loving tournaments would be the fact that you win so many of them and you have so many gold cold foils and sweet prizes accumulated throughout all of your flesh and blood tournaments so far. (laughs) (laughs) 
I do really like that there are prizes for tournaments, and I personally would not be able to spend so much money and time traveling to these tournaments if there weren't prizes to be won, basically. Doing well in tournaments has definitely subsidized my hobby and my traveling, and I think that the prizes help you get to places, and it also gets more skilled players there to compete against so prizes are definitely a big part of tournaments but obviously without a great underlying game and a good community it wouldn't be it's not worth doing something you dislike for the chance at a prize there no one's making making getting rich playing card games well except poker maybe but (laughs) trading card games absolutely if you're in this game just for the prizes or the financial compensation you're in a wrong hobby even in poker there's just even more variance and so many people just flame out or go broke before they ever turn any profits in that and it just kind of turns into more degenerate gambling and also something that's a lot better in flesh and blood that you mentioned in your answer is the community the flesh and blood community is awesome everybody that i've encountered so far has been really positive and really great to interact with not to say that other game communities don't have good communities as well but i think other trading card games and i guess specifically match the gathering that i had the most experience with there were more elements of cheating and things like that that were more commonplace if you think about it it's a lot easier to cheat in a game than in magic the gathering you're drawing less cards of your deck per average so screwing your opponent over by cheat shuffling their deck and putting all lands or no lands atop of their deck just makes it so they don't play the game but if you put a certain element of cards on top of your opponent's deck in Flesh and Blood, for instance, you just give them all red cards in their opening hand, well, that really doesn't matter. They're about to just use those four cards, pitch them, use them, whatever, block out for the turn, and then they move on anyways. So it's a lot harder to cheat in Flesh and Blood overall. But that aside, I think the community, regardless, is just amazing, and it's been really awesome to be a part of it so far. Yeah, I, I feel similarly. Sometimes I have definitely had experiences at tournaments where I've everyone's like really nice all the time and very kind. And sometimes I feel like I can say something that's like maybe a little bit off-putting. And I always feel like really bad and really conscious of those things just because of how positive the community is and i try to go out of my way to apologize to people that i've had negative interactions with just because like i just want to do what i can to help keep the community as positive as it is absolutely and i think we're doing a lot as a community to try to welcome as many new players into the game you see that recently with LSS trying to make sure that the card prices are affordable for the most part and really trying to get more and more players into the game with like history packs and getting rid of first edition and changing their distribution model to make sure people are just able to get in the door. And then we all have a responsibility at even at the LGS level to make sure that we're being really welcoming and making sure that we're reaching the broadest audience possible to have and create an amazing card game experience. But to that end, I alluded to this in the past as well, where when you do things like that, you have the opportunity to make amazing friends. Obviously, if it wasn't for Magic the Gathering and traveling all over the country with some amazing people, I wouldn't be having this podcast right now. Michael Hamilton and I became friends through card games, and it's definitely something that's impacted my life positively in more ways than I can count at this point. Yeah, I I agree. Since I started playing, well, since we started playing Flesh and Blood less than a year ago still, I've made a lot of great connections with a lot of really cool people. And I have a lot of people that I consider pretty good friends. I'm having a lot of close friends over at my house this weekend that I didn't know any of them a year ago. So it's really cool. 
you would pick my wedding anniversary weekend to host your big, awesome flesh and blood party that I just so happen can't make it to now. So I see how it is, Mike. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll make it a reoccurring thing. There have been Road to Nationals most weekends leading up to this, so haven't really had an opportunity. Well, awesome. I look forward to it then, Michael. But I also really like everybody that we're teaming with on this upcoming Pro Tour. I think the team dynamic that we're fostering and the community we're building there is really positive and something that hopefully can last a long time here. And then taking a step back at a more regional level, I think our LGS scene here in Indianapolis is really positive and awesome. And everybody in the Midwest Grinders Discord is really nice, welcoming, always looking to improve their flesh and blood game. And shout out to everybody in there. And thank you, Travis, for being so nice to me in the deck write-up you wrote for your Road to Nationals winning file list. He said things like, in round one, I played against the R in the Manor podcast, and I knew there weren't going to be any easy wins against Roger. And that's not quite how I remember it, because I just remember him smashing me over and over again, turn after turn, (laughs) as I felt quite helpless when I was on Prism on the day. He was my only loss at Swiss, made it to top eight, faced him in round one, and got smashed again. So good job, Travis, and I hope you crush it in nationals. Yeah, Travis is a good guy. Be sure to edit that to say Travis is not a good guy. No. <laughs> like, why do you hate Travis, Michael? Uh, at least I don't hate hated Dale's belittle viscerai deck making enemies. Yeah, maybe I should have been nicer to Hayden over the past few weeks, considering I wasn't invited to the Arsenal Path podcast this week. But it's okay. I quite like being on this podcast, so I think I'll stick around for this one. Yeah. I like this podcast too. Jumping back to why we like card games so much. One thing I also really like about card games is you can be very like creative with your deck building. There are definitely decks that are considered meta and the most popular decks, but there's a lot of room for creativity and bringing something that's your own. You can take an established deck and change some cards and it feels like it's your own creation, even if you're only changing five or six cards that that can that small change can make the deck play completely different and it it really feels like it's your own creation whereas like again comparing it to video games like if you play a character in smash bros so do lots of other people and you may have a different style but it's not like you created this character you created this style you are playing something that's there whereas when you like work on a deck and change cards and spend time trying to figure out how to fix matchups, how to make your deck good, I guess. It feels really satisfying. It gives you that feeling that you made something. Right. That is one of the more rewarding aspects to it, but I think that's what also makes this Bravo star of the show meta so frustrating to an extent to a lot of players then, because uh, with that positive element, there's also the negative element where if something's imbalanced and just hasn't better winning percentage into the field than every other hero at the time it takes away a lot of that freedom which is unfortunate but just kind of the world we live in as far as card games are concerned but i guess even you found ways to innovate when uh bravo star of the show is dominant by just taking a different approach to the deck playing the more controlling style making it your own in that way in order to take the field by surprise in a unique approach to the deck yeah i guess i feel like i understand the complaints that the like solved formats aren't super interesting especially when like the best deck 
is the best by so much that it doesn't feel like you can overcome it by working on your own thing or doing something differently. I think for the most part, outside of the period between before the Pro Tour, the period before the Pro Tour where Starvo was the best deck before Autumn's Touch and Awakening got banned, suspended for Autumn's Touch. But I think that was probably the worst time, maybe, where the decks weren't... It didn't feel like you had as much uh, room to make your deck your own. Even when... Even when Chain was the best deck after Monarch came out before Aria, there was a lot of room to like innovate on your Chain deck, and there wasn't one solved build that was considered the best build. You had to figure out your plans to the fatigue. You had to figure out a good plan into the mirror. Some people were... There were all kinds of different things you could put in your deck, like Belittle Minnowism or uh, Meet and Greet. Good cards. <laughs> there, there were a lot of different ways to build your deck. And then... When Briar was around, Lightning Briar, before the errata, Lightning Briar was very strong and reasonably the best deck in the format, but there was a lot of counterplay to it with Oldheim and Lexi and Viscerai and Chain all doing reasonably well in that format. And on top of that, there was also several different ways you could build your Briar deck. You could take the normal Lightning Briar deck, you could play the Earth version with Channel Mount Heroic, there's just like a lot of room to innovate and that kind of leads me into my next point if it's okay that I move on. I'll allow it. They resolve. One thing I also like about card games is that you can really build your deck to attack a metagame. So if there's a deck that's considered the best with its very specific build, then if you take the time to figure out how to beat that deck with something else, then you can take that deck to a tournament and expect to do reasonably well because you have a favored matchup against what the most popular deck is going to be. And that kind of cyclical nature of the game where you pick a deck, you register that deck, that's the deck you're playing for the whole tournament. And if your deck lines up well against popular decks, then you made a, a good decision. And it kind of feels rewarding to spend the time to test something and come up with something that attacks what the metagame is, I guess. Metagaming and deck selection like that is definitely a critical element to successful card game players, but unfortunately, in my past, I've been a little bit too stubborn with my deck selection, and I really tried to consider myself more of a specialist of an archetype, specifically in Magic the Gathering. I really loved blue-white control, and I still love blue-white control. A few months ago, back in April, there was a Magic the Gathering tournament where I sleeved up some new blue-white cards and had a grand old time countering people's spells and killing their creatures and playing my sweet Blainswalkers, and I loved it, and I still love it. Obviously not as much as I love Flesh and Blood, but it's just something that I really identify with. And that's something also that translates over well to in Flesh and Blood, where yes, you always need to be aware of what's going on in your meta, but there are really opportunities to be class or even hero specialists. You see that with people who really love or identify with Dorinthia or the Brute playstyle, and there are opportunities and ways for them to customize their decks to better attack metas, but ultimately that's still what they identify as and that's what they really love to do in the game of Flesh and Blood. And deck selection is something that I still can probably approve upon now, where back in the last meta where Bravo star of the show was dominant and 
looking back, probably just the thing to be doing, regardless if you were on the more aggressive or the more controlling builds. I stubbornly played Viserai thinking, well, if everybody thinks Bravo Star of the Show is going to be the best deck, then people will want to attack Bravo Star of the Show by playing Prism. So I'll attack the Prism going all the way to level three, basically here, and play Viserai. I don't feel as bad about that decision because Viserai was still broken in his own right, as we saw with them having to place Skeletta on the restricted list until Viserai rotates out of Classic Constructed. But still, I think looking back and even going forward, I could do a better job of picking stronger decks for the tournament. What you were saying about picking one hero or one character or one class that you really like or one I guess deck if we're talking about card games in general and sticking to it. One other thing that's great about card games is frequently the skill cap is very high since the games are very much about like stats and probability and you you figure out odds of certain things happening and how to address things and getting all your ratios correct in your decks. There's a lot of room to get really, really good at any specific archetype basically. You could spend a lot of time working on any specific character or class or build and you're still learning as you play more. You're still getting better and better and mentally like learning lessons, I guess. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I guess aside from Bravo Star of the Show meta, but you were alluding to it in the previous metas with Chain and Briar and this current meta is how it's currently shaping out. The raw difference between the quote best deck and the rest of the fields, I don't think is that different. I think a, lo- a lot of the games of Flesh and Blood come down to play skill and doing the correct math on your turns and play patterns and finding the right moments to pivot. And I think that's been understated to the community a little bit so far. And it's been unfortunate that we've kind of seen these over-representation of heroes in the Living Legend system happening so fast with chain earns bravo star of the show because while they were definitely powerful decks i don't think by any stretch of the imagination they were just unbeatable decks that the meta was just helpless against and that if you were good and talented enough as a lot of players demonstrated with throughout the season there were opportunities to win games by actually outplaying your opponent and performing better in the actual game of flesh and blood yeah i think chain more so than starvo though i guess starvo didn't end up winning the last pro tour yeah it's hard to outplay reign of discard i'll give you that one (laughs) but there were you could still bring like a prism build that was built to beat up on starvo i also thought that chain had a pretty solid starvo matchup at the end and if you played really well and you knew your matchups you could definitely beat whatever the best deck was or what people consider the best deck to be you know michael There's a really important element to card games that neither of us have brought up so far, though. What's that? The actual cards themselves. (laughs) I'll I'll let you kind of talk about this one, because this is actually one of the things I don't care much for about in card games, but I understand that other people like it. (laughs) Yeah, I got this one, Michael. Fun fact, for quite a long time, Michael actually didn't own a single Flesh and Blood card. Every time he was out there winning a various tournament, It was with cards that he didn't own. I was lending to him. So for a long time, I actually owned at least two playsets of every single card in the game, just in case he and I ever did decide to want to play the exact same hero or deck at the same time. So I still have way, way too many 
flesh and blood cards that I need to go through and sort, especially since Uprising just came out. They're just kind of in a unrefined, unsorted state. So maybe that's a fun weekend project that I can do at some point. But the cards themselves really help you identify, obviously, with the play styles and the different heroes of the game, where on the ice cards, you see people being frozen out and unable to take their actions, which obviously is very thematic with the ice cards freezing arsenal cards or giving opponents frostbites that make it harder for them to progress through the game. And I guess on a little bit of a side tangent, though, sometimes they're just actually just beautiful cards outside of their playability in the game, where... My favorite art so far in Flesh and Blood is Foil Heaven's Claw. The Foil Heaven's Claw looks so good in this game. The way that these lightning bolts are shining across through the art of the card, really giving this depth and context to the background of the art. I love it. It's just, I really need to just collect like hundreds of them and build a mosaic of them to frame and put on my wall somewhere. It'd be a, a beautiful centerpiece for a room, I feel like. But anyways... Going back to the actual playstyle of the cards, when art on cards or cards are just very important to you, I just remember still the time where I need to top deck a certain card and lo and behold, it's the orange glow of the Art of War that really puts the whole hand together to help me push damage or it's the red arts or the guy planning on Command and Conquer able to help me steal back Temple for the game. It just really helps you feel more involved and in-depth in these card games. And I will say that's, that's something that I really didn't like about some of the older sets where cards like Headshot or Spinal Crush, where the art was pretty graphic and str striking to me in almost a bad way, where I still want to be able to like show these cards off to other people or people who don't necessarily know that much about flesh and blood and it feels a little weird just to have people being bloodily murdered on your pieces of cardboard sometimes but sometimes I think it's it's, it's okay still in that regard too because we saw in Monarch with cards like Bellows from the Bowels of Hell and stuff like that where it's just this weird shadowy death card but it's on a shadow card so it makes sense. It was then also contrasted by all the sweet light cards that gave that really angelic and pure feel to it so that set overall was just really really well designed and i guess i like yin yang symbols to begin with so i really like the card yinti yanti and that sets the, the contrast but so that's also once again just another card name art design that resonates with me thematically so it makes me really excited to see all the cool unique interesting ways that they can develop and push the styles of art in future sets as well yeah that that makes a lot of sense i I do really like the artwork on Aria. I think that's something that kind of caught me off guard, just how pretty, I guess, the set was. Yeah, Aria's beautiful, man. You can hang, like, you can just get, like, a foil set list of that thing and just hang it in a museum, as far as I'm concerned. That, that set <laughs> looks so good. Yeah, and there is hope for Heaven's Claw. I mean, Autumn's Touch got suspended, and Heaven's Claw is just the slightly worse. It is a lightning three block. It can only be so bad. You missed your chance. You didn't play Starvo. I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to forgive myself now that I've realized that I've overlooked an amazing opportunity to play with such a beautiful and exquisite card like Foil's Heaven's Claw. But I guess on a similar note though then, thinking about it now, all the element cards and talent cards, I guess more specifically, have this very thematic border style and art type that really helps people identify and visualize the play style that goes along with them 
but we don't have that for any of the talented equipment. All of the equipment in the whole game is just this same art, same border, same style, regardless if it's a lightning arm piece like Shock Charmers or Goliath Gauntlet. They still look almost exactly the same, whether they're in regular rainbow or cold foil. The only difference being just at the bottom, there's just this subtype little element thing. So it'd be really interesting and LSS starts visually making the equipment a little bit more distinguishable and vibrant in that way as well. Yeah, that makes sense. When Earthlore Bounty came out and even like several months after it had been legal, someone mentioned playing it in Bravo Showstopper and I'm like, no, you can't do that. That's an elemental chess piece. It's not. It says Earth. Earth lore bounty. You can't not have an Earth lore be an Earth elemental card. If they had a more if they had a more thematic border, I think that would have been a mistake that I would have been much less likely to make. Although, I guess looking back, I definitely struggled with elemental cards versus the element cards, if that makes sense. Like Yeah, that's its own can of worms. Like Glacial Footsteps seems like an ice card. It looks like an ice card. The art is very icy. And obviously it's not because it's just elemental and it's ice fusion, but... Yeah, like chilling ice vein is not an ice card, despite it being having ice in its name right there. So I guess that having like themed artwork doesn't necessarily mean you'll know exactly what the what type of card it is, but it is definitely something they could do better on with the... Or maybe not do better, but do differently. And I think it would be cool. And then also what this leads to is weird things with the elemental system where Icelander is allowed to play a card like Entwine Lightning in her list. It's just a generic elemental card, and there's no reason why you would do it since you can't put the actual lightning cards in your deck to fuse with it, but you're still allowed to have a card named Entwine Lightning in your Icelander deck. So a little bit weird in that system, but I think it's fine since strategically there's no incentive for doing it at the moment. But on talking about talented heroes, I guess now that I'm on to Icelander, we really need to like Dorinthia. We know it's a thing, LSS. You are showing it from a mile away with all of these yellow Dorinthia cards, like Singing Steel Blade. And you wrote stories where Dorinthia is just casually hanging out with her good friend Bolton in the monastery at the moment. So it's going to be sweet. I want to put Dorinthia in the great library of Solana so she can draw extra cards as she's pitching yellow cards to our sweet Dawnblade swing <laughs> activations and weapon pumps. And I don't know. I just want it. I need it. It's going to be sweet. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, you'll, you'll probably get it. It just might take a while, right? Yep. I know I'm going to get it soon. It's going to be the secret spoiler that Dorinthia is in charge of the dynasty on Volcor this whole time. It's just been like Dorinthia chilling out in Volcor. Here it comes. Seems unlikely. I admit I am not super caught up on the lore, but it seems pretty unlikely. It's okay. We all know in Dynasty it was a Draconic Kano who was in charge of the Volcor dynasty this whole time. And his hero ability is going to be whenever you pitch Blood of the Drakai, get eight resources that you can only spend on attack actions with go again not non-attack actions for wizard's sake he's an aggressive attacking wizard that wants to beat people up with his dragon blood doesn't sound very good so you kind of talked about it a little bit 
how do you feel about the storytelling that you can do with a card game where over time you're releasing more expansions and you're going to these different places and you're getting to kind of take that world and put it into the cards well despite me referencing that dorinthia and bolton article earlier i will admit that i'm not the most knowledgeable of the world of wraith overall but i think that's something that they're actively working on and will be a lot more developed as the pve kind of mechanics are fleshed out and that makes sense right where first and foremost aloss was trying to make sure that they had a really good game that they were proud of and was well balanced and was supporting a good competitive scene that people were willing to travel for and enjoy playing and then past that now they're trying to develop a more casual atmosphere with a more robust storytelling and pve mechanics where people can kind of just hang out and enjoy these more less competitive aspects of the game as well but why don't you tell me about the story of flesh and blood michael name a region aside from solana or Volcor. Aria. Okay. I, I was like, I should have, I should have done Aria too. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know that much about the lore. I'm not, uh, I appreciate the story that like the art and the flavor text of cards tell. And I do notice silly, especially like silly flavor text, but it's kind of just makes me laugh, I guess. But you, you kind of were talking about the story, how Dorinthia and Bolton are hanging out. And I was like, okay, well, that is something that's kind of unique to card games where they get to like, like every card is like a small piece of the story. And then to give some healthy, fair criticism to the story building sometimes, I will say in the latest set, Uprising, it feels a little weird that Icelander just kind of showed up. She's from Aria, obviously, originally, and she traveled through an ice portal. And now she's here in Volcor to help with the people's uprising because she likes them for some reason and now there's this weird ice hero in our limited format that is completely removed from the rest of the draconic setup of the set and draft and story so i will say this set feels a little bit jarring in terms of both set design and world building and i don't think it's a huge detriment overall like i said just a little bit out of place and leads to some challenging awkward draft situations for sure Again, I, I still think the games play really well, even if the draft format's kind of awkward. I guess, kind of to put it all together, card games kind of are a unique outlet for competition. They let you think about things in a lot of different ways. And while playing card games, there's a lot of room to get better and learn a lot. I've learned a lot of things since starting playing card games, since I started playing card games. Both lessons relating to the card games and also life lessons in terms of like thinking about things in a non-results-oriented way, like still being happy if I made the right choices, even if the outcome isn't the best. And I've learned a lot about probability, and it's been a lot of lessons that I've learned through card games. I've met a lot of great people. (laughs) Yeah, I would be a much dumber and less well-rounded person in general if it weren't for all my time playing card games over the past few years. I think it really helps you realize that this world is complex and filled with a lot of people who are really smart and talented in their own rights. I remember when I was first starting out playing and I was winning all my local events week after week after week and I went to my first big tournament and I just got crushed. So that kind of led to the catalyst in the competitive side of me where I didn't like being a big fist in a small pond and I really wanted to keep competing and getting better and better to eventually hit that highest pinnacle. Unfortunately, that meant dedicating not only a lot of time, 
but a lot of financial resources. So I definitely could have managed that aspect of it better at times, but I eventually ha- found a well-paying job and I'm financially stable now. So all's well that ends well. <laughs> yeah, I am very fortunate that I have uh, not burned through a lot of money playing card games. I've had very kind people that have let me borrow a lot of cards and I've been fortunate to do rather well in a few tournaments. So <laughs> at least one, but I think one, I think the last point I want to address though is, uh, I don't know how high this is on your list though, but traveling, I don't particularly enjoy traveling as much as I used to when I was, you know, in my twenties back in the day. Uh, but I'm still really excited to go to France. Like it's sweet that I get to go play flesh and blood in, in a different country, you know? Uh, it's something I'm super excited for. It's something I would look to do again to other countries, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, where the game is more kind of uh, centralized in or had been t- up until you know the past year or so in the APAC region. APAC region, right? Yeah, that's what it's called, APAC region. Uh, I haven't been there. I, I, I've traveled very limitedly in my life to this point. Went to Mexico when I was really young, went on a cruise the Bahamas in my 20s. But as far as international travel is concerned, I haven't done that much. But while I played Magic the Gathering for a number of years, and while I'm sure there will be opportunity to do so with Flesh and Blood coming up now, where name a state in the Midwest, I've been there, I've been to the convention center there, I know good restaurants there, I know the streets around there, I can tell you how to get to the convention center to Airbnbs around there, I can tell you all about you know Cincinnati, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Chicago, Detroit, Louisville, like all of these major cities and hubs and stuff like that, like it's just been really cool and interesting seeing how different parts of the U.S. kind of have different cultures almost to themselves. Yeah, I, I'm definitely not as big on traveling as you, but card games are the reason I've been to Florida. They're the reason I've been to uh, England. They're the, reason I've been to... They're the reason you've been anywhere outside of your <laughs> front door, really. I Honestly, that's kind of true. I don't really leave the house much outside of card games. <laughs> uh, I go shopping, I guess, but yeah. They, even then it's me taking you i've gone shopping on my own just because you took me shopping once doesn't mean you get credit for all the times i leave the house to go shopping mm, i'll believe it when i see it no picks no proof <laughs> but what's your favorite place you would say you've been to so far is it vegas is it the hookers and blackjack in vegas that's your favorite place i should i shouldn't have even asked i already know <laughs> i actually i actually went to vegas before i went for a card game tournament for the hookers and, and gambling, I know. Yeah, as a seventeen-year-old or something with my family. <laughs> Sounds like a weird family vacation to me, but I guess I'm not going to judge what the Hamiltons do on their family time. <laughs> um, I don't know what my favorite place that I've been to for a tournament is. I'm a little bit hurt and disappointed that you didn't say Cleveland, Ohio, because that's where your best friend Roger Bodie is originally from, and you got to stay with him whenever you were there, and you always enjoyed it and remember those times very fondly. And the other correct answer would have been Detroit, Michigan, because that's where you had the unprecedented opportunity to team with one Roger Bodie and not even day two in a Team Seal tournament. But it was so awesome meeting and hanging out with him that despite not winning very many games, you decided to become best friends with him for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you? What, where is your favorite place you travel to because of a tournament 
probably Indianapolis. I, I moved here, so it <laughs> probably says a lot. Um, although Columbus, Ohio, I, I know it's, it's weird because I'm from Cleveland, but uh, Columbus, man, North Market. If, you ever, if there's ever a fl- there is a flesh and blood tournament coming up in uh, September, go to North Market right across the street from the convention center for breakfast and lunch during the day. It's like a quick, like five minute walk right across the street from the convention center. It's this sweet little market area where they just have all kinds of different little food vendors from all around the world. There's like Asian food and Italian food and uh, Ukrainian food and all kinds of sweet stuff. Like, I don't know, uh, coffee and wine, hot sauce, hot sauces. One time me and my friend Ben went to the hot sauce stand and we tried every single hot sauce that they had until our mouths were on fire. I, I like hot sauce though, so I made it all the way through, but. Yeah, uh, go to North Market in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, sweet, but overall, I really like Columbus, Ohio. Um, and it was um, it was it was either I moved to Indianapolis or Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Indianapolis offered me the better job. So here I am with a wife and kid, three years. You've been to North Market before, right? I have. Yeah, there's a million places to get food in a small area, and they're all good. But the bad news, or the bad, the only downside of North Market is if you wait till the tournament's over, they're gonna be closed. You have to get you have to get there before the tournament ends. They close at like four or five. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, you notice I said breakfast or lunch. I did not say dinner. Uh, so it is what it is. But for dinner, then you go to their uh, microbrewery that's right around the corner there, Gordon Biersch. Uh, they have they have some really good beers there. You love beers. Tell me, what, tell me about your favorite beer you've had while on the road, Michael. I don't think I've ever drank a beer before. Also, you probably shouldn't drink while you're on the road. <laughs> well, not on the road, but like on the road, uh, but off okay, the road. Okay. Yeah. At a restaurant. Yeah, I... Uh... Don't think I've ever drank a beer. You've had a beer. I'm pretty sure you have. I've had to have paid you to drink at least one Corona at some point in your life. Uh, I know I've made you drink a lot of tequila that you love. You have made me drink a lot of, or made made is a strong word. You have bribed me to drink a lot of tequila. Yeah, you were were, a willing, consenting adult doing services in exchange (laughs) for money, you know. This podcast got kind of personal. not that personal i didn't we didn't tell about all, all the other services you've done in exchange for money just the alcohol other services <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah gordon beer smart brewery columbus ohio check it out it's good i hope they're not closed now i haven't been there in a minute but hopefully they're still they're, they're too good to be closed uh-huh got dirty franks in columbus ohio this unique hot dog place that place is pretty good jenny's ice cream i'm moving to columbus i made a mistake i punted <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to say that, well, you, you found your wife here and you're having a kid. And I'm like, that's kind of results oriented, huh? It's okay. For this one, we can go with one of my favorite sayings in life, which is all's well that ends well. Everything is great in my life right now. And I really, really appreciate all the positive things that are going on. So thank you for being a part of that, you, Michael. And thank you to all our listeners for also being a part of it. But is there anything else, any parting words of gratitude or wisdom about card games before we sign off for the week, Michael? No, I love them. <laughs> I think I'm good, though. I also don't have anything else I want to say, so thank you for asking, Michael. I felt like you were going <laughs> to... I thought you were asking me, and then you were going to say your piece and share what you wanted to share. I felt like my answer was i felt like it was implied that you could share what you wanted to but uh, 
I will be more clear in the future. So you have nothing you want to share? Nothing else you want to share about card games? I don't think I could possibly say anything better or more than what we've already discussed on this amazing and wonderful podcast, Michael. So why don't you tell all of our lovely listeners goodbye? Goodbye, everybody. And thank you, everybody, to... And thank you, everybody, for listening this week. We really appreciate it. If you like this, please like, comment, and subscribe. We would really appreciate it. We plan on getting back to more strategic-focused deck reviews and flesh and blood direct content next week. This week was just a little bit more of a lull period, and we're really excited to cap off the Road to National season and review all the sweet Utrecht decks that I'm sure will come out next week. So look forward to that. Next time you're playing Flesh and Blood, everybody, always remember, mind your manners. We'll see you next time.